Praise God. Let's get into the Good Friday message. Good Friday. And if you're looking for a subtitle for my message, it is this. What is good about Good Friday? You ever wondered about that? We call it Good Friday. Why do we call it Good Friday? You know, as followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus are Easter people. And what I mean by that is they live by the resurrected life of Jesus. This is how they live. But with the COVID-19 virus that is just all over the place, it feels like we're living in a Good Friday world. And what I mean by that is it, it's dark and it's and there's death and it's scary. And it's, and it's kind of like a Good Friday world. And so that's why the to- this message is good. Is called, What's Good About Good Friday? So what's really interesting is that when we think of the cross, the cross ha- has symbolized Christianity. It symbolizes the church. The cross is powerful. But here's the question. What actually happened on the cross? What actually happened? What happened when Jesus was hanging on, those cro- on the cross for six hours? What was going on? And today we're going to be diving into that to find the answer, what's good about Good Friday? So let's go, let's get into Mark chapter 15, verse 33. So let's read. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Okay, so here we have it. So at this point, Jesus had been crucified at nine o'clock. He had already been hanging on the cross for three hours. Now at lunchtime, three hours later, it is now dark all over the land for three hours. Okay, so that's six hours Jesus is on the cross. So why did it get dark? Because we all know, right, at lunchtime it doesn't get dark. It's like the wrong time to get dark. In fact, the sun is normally at the highest point um, at lunchtime, at noontime. So what was going on? And some say, oh, maybe it was an eclipse. Maybe there was an eclipse and that's why it went dark for three hours. But we got to understand something. When Jesus was crucified, he was crucified during the Jewish festival of the Passover. The Passover happens during a full moon. So in order for it to be an eclipse, the moon was in the wrong place. Because in order to get a full moon, the the earth is between the sun and the moon. So then the, the sun will reflect onto the moon and the moon will give us a full moon. But when we have an eclipse, the moon comes in front of the earth and it, cover, and, it, and it passes past the sun and we get an eclipse. So it cannot have been an eclipse. The moon was in the wrong place. It was a full moon. So what was happening? It was a supernatural darkness. God was up to something big. In fact, it's not only recorded in a Bible, it's recorded elsewhere where it went dark across all the lands for three hours. It was a supernatural darkness. God was doing something amazing. So let's get to verse 34. And there in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma zipakthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so when Jesus cried this out, God, why have you forsaken me? Some people read this and say, well, hey, did Jesus lose faith? What happened? What happened to Jesus on this cross? What's really also interesting is throughout Jesus' lifetime here on earth, he always referred back to God as the Father. And he said to us to call him Father, Abba Father, my Father, my Daddy. And all of a sudden, this is the first time it's recorded where Jesus said of calling him Father, he calls God, God. For whatever reason, there was a breakdown in relationship. So what was going on? Why did he cry? Cry out, God, why did you forsake me? And, for, and, and actually... There's some truth to that. For at this point, God had forsaken Christ. And, and, and let me just un, un, unwrap that a little bit more of this illustration. I've got with me this book. It's the New Zealand cookbook. No, I'm not going to talk about cooking. It's just an illustration. It's what we call what I call the book illustration. Now, this book, this book represents every single person. And in this book, from page one to the end of the book, page one represents when a person is born to the end where, where somebody dies. And now what's written in this book 
is every time that we have sinned, every wrong thing we have done, every wrong action we did, and every wrong thing that we even thought, okay? So in this book, it's full of all our sins. Now, let's be honest. If all our sins was written in this book, if everything we've done wrong was written in this book, I don't know about you, because in my book, there's some dark pages, okay? Like, for instance, when God says, Jesus says this, Jesus says this, look, if you hate your brother, to God, that's like murder, okay? So has anybody out there ever hated somebody before? According to God, that's sin. That's the same as murder. It's in this book. The Bible also says this. Jesus says this. If you look at a person in a lustful way, that's the same as committing adultery. Has anybody out there looked at somebody with lustful eyes before? If you have, according to God, you've committed adultery. And that's written down in this book. And I don't know about you. There are a lot of dark things. There are a lot of skeletons. If I open up, a lot of skeletons are going to come busting out of my book. And I don't want anybody to be reading all my deep, dark secrets that are written in this book. And you know what? If you are honest... The same is true with you. You don't want anybody reading uh, reading that for you. So, so let's suppose my hand, my left hand, my left hand represents you. Okay, and let's say the ceiling represents God. Now, the Bible says that um, that's between you and between God is what we call, what the Bible calls, the record of charges against us in Colossians chapter two, uh, verse fourteen. It's called the record of charges against us. So, um, so the Bible says that what's between you. Between you and God, what's between you and God? What? It's our sin. Everything we said and written against it. Everything is written in this book. This is what separates us from God according to the Bible. So God doesn't separate himself from us. We separate ourselves from God through our sins. And so this is what was happening on the cross. Now the Bible tells us that God is so pure that even if one page, one page, there was one page written, in fact, one word written in that book, that's enough to separate you from God. In fact, you know, sin is, is more than thinking or acting or doing wrong things. Sin is an act of rebellion against God. It's doing things my own way. And you know what, God, you may be God. You may have created everything. You may be king, but I want to be king of my own life. I'll, I'll, I'm going to ignore you and I'm going to do things my own way. Now, that's what God considers sin, is rebellion against God. And out of these things, out of our rebellion, comes all our deceitful actions, our thoughts, and things that we say. So the Bible tells us that God is love, right? God is love. But the Bible also tells us that God is a just God. He's a just judge, which means that God must judge our sins. And the punishment of our sins is death. Okay, He must because he's a just judge. And I know what you're thinking. How can he be this loving father and also he's got to punish our sin? That doesn't make sense. You know, but he's just. Let me, let me, let me illustrate this a, a little bit more. Um, my 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 grandmother is from the Cook Islands. Uh, in fact, my mum's from the Cook Islands. Um, and from the moment I was born, the moment I was born, I was literally joined at the hip with my grandmother. Right up until that moment, that that God called her back home to be in heaven with him. And so this is way back in my early twenties. My grandmother would tell me lots of stories about her growing up in the Cook Islands. And one time she told me the story about my grandfather. Okay, so I'm going to share this story. Let's just keep the story between me and you. Okay, just just keep it between us. Now, my great great sorry, my great grandfather, my grandfather's dad, my great grandfather, he was a police chief in the Cook Islands in Raru, police chief in Raru. So this is we're going back to the 1920s, 1930s. Okay, this is going back then during the time of the the prohibition, uh, when alcohol was illegal to be sold or even to have on your properties. So, my my uh, great grandfather, the police chief, 
One day while he was out doing his uh, patrol, he, he went to his plantation and guess what he found in his own plantation? He found his son, my grandfather, my grandmother's husband. <laughs> okay. He was making homebrew illegal. Okay, making uh, uh, he was he was making homebrew in the plantation. So, what is my great grandfather to do? Okay, is he gonna turn the blind eye? Okay, don't do that, son. You shouldn't have done that. That's not good. You know, um, don't do it again. I'm gonna let you go. Um, but what does he do? Okay, my, you need to know something about my great grandfather. He was a just man. He was a godly man. He was a lay preacher. So not only was he a father, a loving father, but he was also a just police chief. And so what he did is that he took his son, my grandfather, and he put him in jail. He threw him in jail for the consequences of his sin. Now, he, he could have just turned the blind eye. If he did that, he would no longer be just, right? But he's a just, he's a just police chief and is also a loving father. But whose fault is it? Whose fault is it that my grandfather ended up in jail? Was it my great-grandfather's fault? Or was it my grandfather, just my granddad's fault? It was my granddad. And it was because it was the consequences of his own sin. And, was, and although my, grand, my great-grandfather loved him, he was also just. He had to punish his sin. So we have two problems, right? Two problems. Number one, there's much evil written in our books, okay? And this separates us from God. Our sins separate from God. And the second thing is this, is that although God is a loving father, he is also a just judge, which means he has to punish us for our sins. And the punishment is death. And I don't know about you. You know, which means we're all in, in trouble, okay? Because of what we've done. This is what separates us from God. And God is a just judge. He has to separate us. So what does God do? He's also a loving Father. And so here we go. Let's introduce to you Jesus. And so let's say Jesus is my right hand. And again, let's just say between the ceiling is God. And what's between Jesus and God? There's nothing. Because from the moment that, that God entered His creation and became the fullness of Jesus, and He, and he walked on this planet, He always pleased His Father. He never sinned, and, 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 he, and He lived a right life before Him, right up until He was on the cross. So this is what Jesus did for you. God loves you so much that He took your punishment. This is what God did. He took your sin. And he poured it upon Jesus, not just yours, but every believer of every age was their sins was poured upon Jesus on the cross. Every uh, every evil was 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 transferred from us unto Jesus, and so Jesus became the most sinful. You can say he became the most sinful man upon the planet Earth, and this an amazing thing happened. Amazing thing happened. This is what happened when during this darkness that God executed his own son the punishment that should have been ours jesus took it all in his body the fullness of god's wrath god's punishment that should have been ours jesus took it upon himself and he died for our sins he died he paid the price for our sins now the amazing thing is that three days later the show that, that, that God was satisfied for the work that Jesus had done on the cross, that, that God rose Jesus again three days later, that, that God was satisfied. He was satisfied that, that, that we are now free. We are now free. Now, now Peter says this. Peter says this in uh, chapter 2, verse 24. He says, he says, Jesus, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, we are healed. By his wounds, we're healed. Second Corinthians says this in 5 verse 21. He says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, 
to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So God punished our evil on His Son and He died for us and He set us free. He poured upon His Son all the wrath and anger upon His Son so that we may be free. Jesus died, the punishment of God that should have been ours. Amen. But you know what's really what's really amazing? What's bet- well, if you look at my hand now, if you look at my hand now between God. So tell me, how much sin remains between the person who believes in Jesus and God now? How much sin remains? None. None. That Jesus completed it on the cross. He took your sin, he took your pain, and he and he paid for it on the cross. Isn't that so good? God is so good. So then when a person believes in Jesus Christ, God counts him or her as absolutely sinless, perfect in his eyes. In fact, as perfect as Jesus himself. Isn't that so good? That when a person believes in Jesus, that God counts him as perfect because what? There's nothing, no sin remains between you and God. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus, God sees you as perfect. That is so good. So when we go back to our verse, when we go back to Mark chapter 15 and verse 35, and we carry on. When some of those standing there heard this, and they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Verse 36, someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, that's sour wine, put it on a staff, and they offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. He said, this is verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. Now listen to this. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. And I really want to take us back to where the curtain tore from the top to bottom in the temple. And if if you're not familiar with the text, you're probably wondering, what, what does a curtain have to do with Jesus dying on the cross? Now, the temple that um, God had instructed, instructed the Jewish people to build was divided into three parts. There was an outer, the outer courts where everybody could go, everybody, everybody, every, all God's people can come, and they can offer the outward worship to Him. And then there was there was um, a separate room, a bigger room, and a, and a smaller room. And the, and the, the, the bigger room was, is called the holy place, and it's where the priests, only the priests, were allowed into this place, and they, where they performed their priestly duties. But what separated the bigger room to the smaller room was this thick curtain. This is the curtain that they're torn to. This thick curtain, thick curtain, this thick. Uh, it separated these two rooms. And in the smaller room was known as the most holy place or the holy of holies. And this is where God's presence dwelt. And God was so holy that no one can enter that room. If they did, they would die. God is so holy. Only once a year could, and only the high priest once a year could enter into that room. And he had to purify himself because if, if, there, if, there, was, if he, there was sin of any kind upon this high priest, he would die in that room. Okay, They would tie a rope around his waist. Once a year, he would go in. There would be little bowels down the bottom of his um, his uh, priestly garment, and if they if the bowels stop ringing, oh, he's died. He's died in the presence of God, and they'll pull him out. They'll pull him out, and they'll go, "Okay, next high priest, you're up." Okay, so that's how that's how holy this room was. So when Jesus died on the cross, an amazing thing happened. This curtain tore in two, top to bottom, ripped apart, and this will show that God was now was now with us that nothing separated us from god that, that that what jesus has done for us on the cross brought us back into a right relationship with him nothing separates us. if you believe in jesus if you believe in jesus you're forgiven of your sins now and and, and nothing will separate you from god nothing 
because of the works of Jesus. And, and look, this is the application. Okay, Jesus' death is sufficient for the sins of any person. Okay, so what do you got to do? The Bible calls this grace. What Jesus did for us on the cross calls us grace. It's a gift of God. It's a free gift given to you and me. How do you receive a gift like any other gift? You can, can either receive a gift or you can reject a gift. You can either receive Jesus or you can reject Jesus. The choice is yours. This is your choice. This is your decision. You've got to make a decision. Look, when we reject Jesus, this is what we're saying. Jesus, you died on the cross for no one. You didn't die for me. You died for yourself. You know, I reject what you've done for me on the cross. You know what? I'll take the punishment myself. And you know what? On judgment day, you will. The choice is yours. But you know what? I'm not finished with my grandmother's story. My grandfather never just stayed in jail. If he did, I would never be born. Okay. So... So what? So after my grandfather, my great-grandfather threw his son into prison. As soon as he threw them in, my great-grandfather paid the full price. The full price to get his son out of jail. Why? He was a just police chief. Yes, but he was also a loving father. That he will pay the price to set his son free. So I'm here to tell you that yes, God is a just God. And be glad He's just. But He is also your loving Father. And you know what He did for you? That God will step into creation. He bind Himself with flesh. And the fullness of Jesus. And on the cross, He paid the full price with His blood for you. Paid the price so that you can be free. Will you receive this gift? Will you receive this gift of grace today? Will you receive the love of God today? So right here, right now, you need to make a decision. Because what's good about Good Friday? Let me tell you, it's what Jesus did for you on the cross. That's what's good about Good Friday. So if, if right here, you need to make a decision. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to receive this gift of grace Say, yes, Jesus, I will receive your gift. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. You need to make a decision. And what I, what I want you to do, we've got this button that says, raise your hand for Jesus. And the reason why I want you to, to click this button, because it's your faith. You, I want to, it's a physical thing of you, like I'm doing something right here. I'm, I'm making a commitment. I'm, I'm taking responsibility for my own faith. It's not my mom's faith. It's not my granddad's faith. It's not my pastor's faith. This is my faith. And I'm taking responsibility for it. And I'm, I'm going to be clicking this button. Because when you click this button, some people, people are going to be praying for Our team are going to be praying for you. I'm making a decision today. This will be the greatest decision that you'll ever make. Right here, right now. And let me pray for you as you make this, 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 this decision. Lord Jesus, right here, right now, I receive this gift of grace. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Today, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to do things your way. I don't want to be in rebellion anymore. I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise God. Amen and amen. Come on. I love it. I, lo I love what Jesus has done for us. That's what's good about Good Friday. Now, before we end our time together, we're going to share communion together. I'm going to invite my amazing wife to come in and... and and join us for communion. There we go. I'm just going to shift over. Take up all the space. Here she is.
And is uh, here we go back again. So as we share communion together, what what is communion? Like I said, you know, Jesus was was crucified during the time of the Passover. And so, what is the Passover? Now, the Passover goes way back when Israel were in slavery to Egypt during the time of Moses, and they cried out to cried out to God, and God heard their cry, and and, and He sent Moses to lead their people out of bondage from slavery from out of Egypt. Now they went there, Pharaoh. He said, no way, you're going. We don't want to lose our, 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 um, our workforce. You know, They didn't have COVID-19, but he said, we've got slavery. They'll, they'll do us, right? And so God brought plagues upon Israel, 10 plagues in all. In fact, the ten, it was the 10th plague is what we know as the Passover. And what the 10th plague was, and, and this, was the, this was the last plague that convinced Pharaoh to let God's people go. And it's where the spirit of, uh, of death, the angel of death, will come into the land of Egypt. And so God said to his people, go and sacrifice a lamb. And with the blood of the lamb, smear it over the doorpost of your house. So when the angel of death comes down and will see the blood of the lamb over the doorpost or pass over your house. And every house that had no blood of the lamb on it, the angel of death will go in and take the life of the firstborn son. And Pharaoh's son was taken. And because of that, Pharaoh let God's people go. So year after year after year, God commanded the people to celebrate this as the Passover meal. And so what's, what's this got to do with us? Well, Jesus was crucified during the Passover. This was, God was pointing to a time that Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is our Passover. In fact, Jesus says this, that, that He came to fulfill the law, even the symbol of Passover. That Jesus is the Passover. That Jesus is the Passover Lamb. When He had the Last Supper with, with His disciples, that was the Passover right there and there. Jesus completed the Passover with what he did on the cross. So what does it mean to, for us? Is that, is that, no, we no longer do a Passover meal, but what we do is we share communion until his return. Jesus said, come on, just remember me as often as you can. And symbolically, what we do is we take the blood of Jesus and we, we put it over our life. And we, we believe by faith that we have life because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Amen. So Luke chapter 22, verse 19. Jesus said this on, on this is on the night that he, that he was betrayed, when he was having his Passover meal with his with his disciples. He said this. He took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples, saying, "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." After supper, he took another cup of wine, and he said, "This cup is the new covenant between God and His people." An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Now for us, the, the, the last part of, of communion, of what Jesus said, we understand that because we, we just talked about it. That is the, the blood of Christ sets us free on the cross. And when we drink from the cup, when we drink from the cup, it's symbolic of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Taking away our sin, washing us clean. But then the first part of, of what Jesus says, he said, the bread represents my body. What does he mean by that? What he means by that is healing. You know, when Jesus came to earth, uh, you, you could not read about Jesus without seeing the healing that he did. What's really interesting is in Isaiah. Isaiah was, was a prophet. He, he lived 700 years before Jesus was born. But in Isaiah chapter 53, what's really amazing is that he details the death of Jesus. I, I really encourage you in your own time, read Isaiah chapter 53. But what, what I really want to read us is Isaiah 53 verse 5. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten 
so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. By his stripes, we are healed. So you know what that means for us? That means when we have communion, not only are we remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross, but we can receive healing right here, right now. For any sickness you may have, come on. If you have COVID-19, come on. This communion yeah. means something different for you. If you're going, if you're suffering for whatever it is, believe what Jesus has done. Receive the communion for healing. He was, his stripes brought us healing. He was whipped for our transgression to set us free. So as we take communion, Poro has, has prepared some, some pieces as, as she has broken bread. Let's, let's take a bread in our hands, whatever it is, whatever piece you have. Let me pray. Father God, as we take this bread which represents your body, we receive healing. Father, I receive healing for myself. I receive healing for my wife, for your husband, for your spouse. I receive healing for my parents, for my children. By your stripes, we are healed. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak healing. In Jesus' name. So let us eat together and let's receive healing right here, right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your body, which was broken for us. Let us eat. In the same way he took the cup. This is a new covenant. Poured out in my blood on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that our faith in you, Thank you Lord. sets us free from the bondage of sin and death. Thank you, Jesus, that by your blood that we are washed, we are cleansed, as if we have never sinned. Thank you, Jesus. For the victory of the cross, yes. let us drink together and remember what he did for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you have done for us. Thank you for the works of the cross. Father, we love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.